Welcome to the uh, Legends Pod. My name is Sam Manheimer. Um, Ari Levy, this is episode one of the Legends Podcast. Um, so a few weeks ago, uh, me, me and Sam were sitting around with our good friends, uh, Eric Massoff and Mike Zach, who were visiting. And so I kind of started talking about, you know, A-Pi and college. And we're just like, wow, we went to, we went to school with some, some real successful motherfuckers. Like some, some of these people that we went to school with our friends, some of them have their own businesses. Some of them are, are, are working for big time banks or, or consulting firms. And they, they had a lot of success. And we're like, you know, we want, we want to hear from these people because I feel like it's easy to stay in touch with people now. But, you know, there were so many people in the house, older and younger. It's like it's easy to lose touch with everyone. Mm-hmm. And we, the reason we're starting this is because we want to reconnect everyone. We want people to come on and share their story. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people we went to school with with some very interesting stories to tell. Like Ari said, interesting career paths. And I think a lot of times when we meet up with each other, we just talk about more superfluous things like sports and like what's going on in our day-to-day lives. But we don't really get into the nitty-gritty details of like how people have gotten the success that they enjoy. So this is kind of a platform for people to kind of share their backgrounds and what they've done to personally be successful. Yeah. Going off of what Sam said, you know, everyone has like a different path they've taken. Um, but the one thing that we all have in common was we were all went to school together and we're all in the same fraternity. That's not to say we're going to branch off and, and just, or not branch off and not talk to anyone else who we think would be a good fit. But right now we want to hear from the guys from API, Beta Iota, Indiana University and, and see what their story is and where they got to today. Yeah. And like I already said, we do want to branch out eventually, but we do have this great network already at our yeah. disposal. So we're definitely going to start there, but no, uh, there's no limit to where we could take it. Yeah. We, we've reached out to some of you, but we want to hear from everyone. If you, if you think you've got a great story um, and you have really good you know, information or, or tools on, on, on how to be a better professional or just a good story in general, reach out to us. Yeah. Let us know how much money you make yeah. after taxes. Yes. And you could DM Sam on Instagram and you could text me. Yeah. You just got to let us know some like de- decent details though. Like... You know, like how, how, how much your rent is, um, uh, yeah. your social well, security your number, 401k. mother's maiden name. There's just a couple of details that you got to let us know, yeah. but we'd have, we'd be happy to have we'd you be, on. Yeah, we'd be happy to have you on. Um, you definitely have to have a sizable 401k to talk to us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we're, we're open to talking to anyone. Um, yeah, you gotta you send us your investment portfolio. Yeah, basically okay. too. Yeah, that goes without saying. Yes, exactly. We need to know your net worth and AGI in FYI 2019. No, but in all, in all seriousness, um, we are hoping to hear from you guys and definitely looking forward to getting the stories and reminiscing a little bit, but also kind of hearing what you've done that makes you tick. Yeah. Indiana Hoosiers podcast. uh, Definitely. Football. Yep. Hardcore Hoosier football podcast, hardcore S and P 500 podcast, um, VIX we trade. Yeah, exactly. Um, but without further ado, we have our first guest. We have our first guest. Zach um, Meckler. Yeah, good friend of mine. Uh, big reason why I joined the house. We have an excellent conversation with him. Going from Minnesota sports, Indiana football, to buying a house. Um, he has a real interesting career path. Very unconventional. And I think he has a great story. So give it up for our good friend, Zach Meckler. All right, we now welcome on a good friend of mine. Longtime friend, uh, reason I one of the big reasons why I actually joined API, Zach Meckler. Zach, welcome. Thanks, Ari. Happy to be here, Sam. Thanks for having me over. Yeah, happy to have you. 
Hope uh, all's been good with you over the last couple months. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's crazy. We're already in November. I, I was going for a walk this morning, 70 degrees here in Chicago yeah, on a crazy. November morning. It's uh, it's pretty amazing how fast this summer went by. I know everyone's been in the, in the middle of COVID, just kind of yeah. keeping their head down, working from home. But, man, it has been a, a fast six months here in Chicago. The, the past couple weeks, I feel like everyone's been like, oh, this is like the last nice weekend. Yeah. We got to like go out or like get a, get a seat at a patio or do something on someone's roof. But uh, this has been a really nice weekend. So do you think we're going to get another nice weekend? Or do you think this is it? I mean... This is a weather podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to go ahead and forecast the weather here. But as a lifelong Midwesterner, I, I can I can safely say the cold is coming at one point or another. <laughs> That's the only thing we can be certain of. <laughs> Good stuff. But it's been, it's been a pretty crazy week. A um, lot going on in this country. I guess it turned out best case scenario for this city. Uh... The vibes were the vibes were pretty good yesterday. Yeah, you know, I we, we kind of mentioned it before. I, we'll, we'll do our best to keep the politics to a minimum. But mm-hmm. I guess my my only take on it, and I think most Americans can probably agree on this, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, is that we're all Americans, right? I think it's really important to remember that after every election cycle, you know, it calms down. And maybe this one felt heightened, especially for people living in big Democratic cities. You know, you're you're really seeing the the pro Biden, the anti Trump, but ultimately once again we, we're all americans mm-hmm. we all we all live in the same country we all have the same overall goals and i think the biggest thing you can take away from this election is regardless of what you feel i think the biggest positive was that you had this massive voter turnout for mm-hmm. both sides and to me i think that will actually be the lasting legacy of the trump administration despite all the negative things you're going to hear and despite all the positive things you hear coming out of the biden camp Um, I, as an American who love participating in this amazing opportunity to vote for our next president Mm -hmm. and all of our local officials love that we had such a high turnout nationally. I think that that's something we can be proud of. And um, I think that energy hopefully transitions into a bit better conversation where we can all sit down and just talk about it, but won't get too deep on it. I just, (laughs) I I think that the best thing we can say out of this is to have a record number of votes, not only for the winning president, but also for the losing candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it speaks volumes to how exciting this was for Americans across the country on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, I feel like I learned more in the last four years about how our government worked than like I ever did in any sort of civics class. And like through, I guess, good mechanisms are bad. It is a decent outcome to have where people are like so engaged with politics and they are paying attention. Yeah. And it's not just like, a, oh, did you vote this year? And you get the answer, no. Like, I feel like everyone I talk to, they voted. Yeah. And it's also, it's so easy to vote. And it's so easy yeah. to vote by mail. Like they, they make it easy for a reason. Just so many people didn't do it. All you have to do is take the five minutes to sign up online and you could get a mail-in ballot and do it in mm-hmm. your own home. So, but regardless of politics, you know, I was out yesterday, I was watching the IU football game, which we're definitely going to have to get to in a second. But, every, you know, the weather was great, but like everyone seemed very happy. People were taking shots at the bar. <laughs> I saw people breaking the COVID procedures <laughs> and hugging each other. So it, it, it was good to see people happy. I know people are out in the streets celebrating yesterday. So, you know, regardless of politics, I just want America to be happy. And I, and I, want, I want everything to kind of calm down. 2020 has been a rough year for a variety of reasons that we, we're all aware of. But just seeing people happy out in the streets is, is something we haven't really seen much of this year. So it was, it was just a good reminder. Yeah. And once again, I think that's another example of how involved Americans were in the process this year. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what it should be, right? It's, it's not a question of 
how much they hate one candidate or love the other. It's this idea that, you know, American democracy and freedom isn't necessarily a God-given right. Yeah, it's the idea that you have the ability to participate in your election. And I think something that's, you know, always important to keep in mind is that politicians are elected officials to serve for the people. Mm -hmm. The people choose who is in charge. I thought that this election was a really powerful reminder that Americans of all shapes, sizes, colors, races, religions choose the president yeah. of the United States. Yeah. And, and there's billions of people across the world who don't have the privilege to choose their leaders. Mm -hmm. So we're really lucky. And part of a democracy is that you're not always going to get what, you're want, what you want. And like, there's going to be millions of people that are left unsatisfied. But that's, that's part of this like great privilege that we have. Couldn't agree more. I think, and it's you know, it's a good reminder. To your point, everyone out in the streets, it's great. They're happy with the election. I'm, I'm happy with the election. I think most people are happy. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't see another political ad during sports for the next well, four years, well, I think we'll, well be happy. it's not <laughs> over. Trump hasn't conceded yet. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll anything can happen. Anything will happen. <laughs> I, um, but want to touch on something earlier, which is really exciting. This is an IU football podcast, and uh, wow. I, I, I just, I've never seen the Hoosiers like this before. Um, they beat Michigan for the first time since 87 yesterday, which was extremely exciting. Um, not only did they beat them, they, they beat them soundly. It, was, it wasn't question. really that close. No questions, for sure. Yeah. Um, Michael Penix Jr. could play. You know, I wonder, I wonder if the, the team, they've seen Borat and they're making a Michael Penix jokes <laughs> all the time. That's because that's what immediately what the first thing I thought of. I, I'm curious, when, when you guys watched it, we had this conversation yesterday. I, I think that this is the question that's going to start getting asked now as they're in the spotlight more. Is, is he a pro prospect? I don't think so. We were, we were talking about this yesterday. I made a joke that he's going to go in the first round, which is not true. <laughs> it's really hard, and it's really hard to evaluate talent for football, at least, like, I think it's easier to look at, like, I mean, there's, like, for sure no-brainers, but, like, he is small. Mm -hmm. um, he's actually 6'3", 220. I, he's bigger than I thought. We looked he he looks really slim. All right. He said he was 5'10", yes. I didn't say he was 5'10". <laughs> you, you, you said he was small. He's smaller. Yeah. But that's one of those things. You, but 6'3", is not that, You maybe no. don't, like, you think about the Trevor Lawrences and these yeah. guys who are constantly talked about on NFL Network, and, and you get yeah. their, their size and their, their strength, and you, you hear all about them, and... I think it's a great lead into Indiana football being normally Indiana football where you don't even know the guy's names. You're just sure. watching, you know, you're uh, at a bar fourth quarter. Real quick, talking about Trevor Lawrence. I thought he had COVID. Why was he on the sidelines last night? I know he was I wearing an N95. Practice. So I think he yeah, but doesn't he have COVID or is he is he not? So he got COVID. COVID like over a week and a half ago or something like that. So I think he must have tested negative, but he just wasn't available to practice with the team. I don't the know the exact. I know that every conference is um, different guidelines for what their their rules on playing. So as an example, yeah. like the Big Ten, I want to say is five straight negative COVID tests or okay. whatever it is. It's the same concept as how Nick Saban actually was able to coach because he tested, uh, it was three in a row where he tested negative. Yeah. I know the players and coaches are different and I'm not an expert on, on the subject yeah. matter, but I know the SEC um, did allow him to be on the sideline because of X amount of negative tests in a row. But it, it's so hard to stipulate. And I, I do think that this will be something that will be interesting as we go into the college basketball season. They've had mm -hmm. more time to prepare. Um, it felt like with college football, they really didn't align with the NCAA on what the guidelines were going to be. It's very much so a free-for-all. Yeah. And obviously, we're all very happy that, A, these teams have been playing, and B, players are safe, right? We haven't had any major issues or hospitalizations. But I do think that there needs to be more of a standardization. Because to your point, people are looking at, at 
this you know number one pro prospect mm-hmm. sitting on the sideline not wearing a mask at yeah. some point. And there, what's going on? There is going to be a huge rise in cases at Notre Dame after everyone's yeah. storm. That was crazy. I just I can't believe they allowed that to happen. Yeah. Because I've seen it before, even like at a Hoosiers basketball game where like security will not let people storm the storm the court and like I know they beat the number one team and they hadn't lost a regular season game in three years, which is incredible stat, but uh, yeah, I mean, given COVID, like, I just still don't understand why Trevor Lawrence is on the sidelines, and I don't understand why everyone rushed the field, but yeah. there were a lot of people there last night. It, it looked like it was like a three-fourths full. Yeah. yeah. COVID, COVID aside, I don't know if you rushed the field if you're the fourth-ranked team yeah. in the country. That at one's all. a whole but, other no, but they, but they, But they beat the number one-ranked team that hadn't lost a regular season game in three years. I think the big it's, it's is, impressive. Yeah, I mean, but they didn't fair. have Trevor Lawrence. If they did, I think they would have. I think they would have rolled. Right. For sure. I, I think the bigger point too. Already made it earlier. Is I just don't know how the school doesn't have some idea that okay, we're playing the number one team. Trevor Lawrence isn't playing, so I mean, decent Vegas, chance. You Vegas win. is looking at it already, right? So the school is obviously looking at it, going. There's a good chance we win this game. We're yeah. at home. I think you have to be a little bit more conscious if you're Notre Dame, your your sure. flagship university in your state, in a state that, by the way, is leading the nation right now in the last few weeks in active COVID cases. So it's really easy to have COVID fatigue and kind of forget about this. And it, it's, once again, it's not a right that we get football. It's a privilege no. that we have the ability to play this sport and entertain people and to give these kids an opportunity. I'm all for these kids being able to play right now. I think the NCAA, while they've had some issues, has done a good job. But yeah, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing with that. And, you know, it's a great example of it's really not hard to wear a mask. It's really not hard to do some of these little things. It's just that sometimes people forget and they, and they do this, you know, spur of the moment. But mm-hmm. I think we need to be better if we really want to get this thing under control. But that's yeah. a whole nother, I mean, yeah. I, I was very surprised to your yeah. point to see that many people yeah. on the field. And I want to I want to circle back to Indiana football for a yeah. minute. Um, we, me and Sam were talking about this yesterday. Sometimes like you just have to you have to go for it and you know We saw that in the first game when they had when they had scored and they went for two and he very well may have been out But they ruled it a touchdown and that pretty much changed the entire momentum of the season and look at where they are now and um, You know when you get field position like that you like you do just have to go for it sometimes and, and I really like what uh, Allen did there and, mm-hmm. and made that call. And, and like I said, he may have been out, but they ruled it a touchdown on the field. And he was won. not out. It, 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 it's he, he was in. And, and this, was on in. this podcast, he was in. He was in. <laughs> he, was in. he might have been out, but for no, sure. Yeah. Not might have been. Yeah. <laughs> um, they got Michigan State next week, who they worked Michigan. And I think it's another winnable game. And then they got their real test after that, which is Ohio State. Um, that I mean, the the road the road to Pasadena goes through Bloomington at this point. Yeah, no, I, and and I think there's two things I point out about this Indiana football team, and and the first is more statistically, you know, sometimes the things between a winning team and a losing team are very little. Mm-hmm. Uh, often in football, it's it's very small. So yeah, it's like three plays decide a game for sure. And and we went to school in an era in Bloomington where despite the wins and losses, they actually had a lot of talent. You know, we saw Tevin Coleman sure. come through there. We saw Jordan Howard. We saw a lot of NFL starters. Cody Latimer, Dan. You, Dan Feeney's starting center. Super Bowl champion, you, Nate Sudfeld. Nate hey, Sudfeld. if Nick Foles went down in the Super Bowl, Nate Sudfeld was trotting onto the field. He got some that, snaps that, in the playoffs. Yeah. No, they, they are legitimately, they have been a, a talented roster, but it goes back to those little points, right, that separate them. And, and the first one, which is more statistical, is that so far this year in the red zone, Indiana is 16 for 16 coming away with points. Wow. I think that 
alone, right? You look at some teams that, that they do all the right things, but they lose the turnover battles and mm-hmm. they don't score when they're close. Indiana has been protecting the football and they've been scoring when they get in the red zone. And in college where you heard Nick Saban say, in today's day and age, offense really in college does win. Indiana has built an offense that is efficient. It moves the ball, they Mm -hmm. run, they throw, they score. And that has been the key to their success. But I think the one thing that we as Indiana fans need to just be so excited about is Tom Allen, I mean, is just a lightning rod. This team team has fight in them. That's what we were saying. Like, they're fighting out there, which is nice And you can just tell when a coach – like, it's so easy to see when a coach has his players, like, invested, fully, fully invested – these guys just believe in him. And he, he's a former high school coach. We're not talking about a big pedigree. He guy. said it was his dream job to Literally. be the Hoosiers football coach. Right, like, that's, and that, that's the kind of buy-in you want to see, I yeah, think, in yeah. any sport, right? You go to every great team in, in any sport you've ever watched, right? I mean, I think you can go to the, the Bulls in the 90s, the way they looked at Phil Jackson. I'm not, I'm not making that comparison. <laughs> I think you just made that comparison. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just, you look at great leadership in every winning culture and team, mm-hmm. whether it's corporate America, whether it's sports, they have great leadership mm-hmm. and Tom Allen just I don't know the guy but you can just look across the aisle and you can see that these guys buy into him he's yeah. he literally cut his forehead in the game yesterday from <laughs> headbutting with a player I mean he's just so invested in the outcome of this game mm-hmm. and I think that's really refreshing for Indiana to have like a, a leadership position that is forefront that isn't the basketball coach mm-hmm. we spent so many years talking about the negativity of Tom Crean sometimes and how the student body really turned on him and I think having Tom Allen be this like face of the athletic program right now, I actually think it's not only good for the school and the football team, and there's a part of me that feels like it takes pressure off the other sports, like the basketball yeah. team. They're not so carrying they be the everything. face of the athletic yeah. department. I think that's awesome. And, sure. and another thing I'd point out, I, I believe Indiana is like one of, if not the biggest school by student body in the Big Ten. I think Ohio and, State might be a little bigger. Ohio State and Minnesota, but it's up there. And, yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of the it's bigger right, It's right up there, but, but just given like the history of the school's basketball program and just like being like 45 minutes south of like Indianapolis between Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, like they've just never been a good football school. And it's just like always been wondering like, why, why can't this school be better at football? And it does come down to coaching. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at rivals, you see guys coming out of Indiana, like Indiana is no shortage of football t- talent, but like they go to Michigan, Ohio state, like, like, if Tom Allen could really build this program into something big, like it would just be phenomenal. There's no reason he can't. Yeah. Yeah. The Big Ten is, it's the conference that gives you, in my opinion, outside of really, it's like the Big Ten, the SEC, and the Pac-12. Personal opinion, that are going to give you the best three in in, in both major yeah. sports, basketball mm-hmm. and football, consistently. Where there's no reason your team at any school, yeah. including Rutgers, like can't be a good in, program, and Indiana yeah. fits the bill. In my personal opinion, the Big Ten is the best conference in college, just because it has the balance of basketball and football. Mm-hmm. Like SEC is clearly better at uh, football. You could make the argument that the ACC is better at basketball when you got like Duke and Carolina, but the Big Ten just has a great balance. Yeah, completely. You did a couple seasons, whereas, yeah, if you're an SEC fan, like, aside from Kentucky, there's really nobody yeah. who's, like, that special. Although I, Tom Crean down at Georgia is doing an interesting he's job. He's doing a good job. I, I think the question I'd be curious to hear from you guys on Indiana football is, okay, so now we're, you know, we're building this this program, hopefully, right? It's one year, but, you know, they had a, they really had a great season last year. Yeah, they did. Um, and, and kind of building momentum. So my question is, what do you think becomes, like, we kind of – always have looked at Purdue as this like the bucket game the rivalry like you talked about the Ohio State game 
Is there a team that you could see Indiana like building a big time rivalry with in the Big Ten, or does like Purdue need to bring mm. the level up and that just stays the game? That's a good question. I mean, I feel like it's a situational thing. Like this year, like Ohio State and Wisconsin, I would say are the two teams that like, I mean, if we're going to be a, a Big Ten championship caliber team, like we got to beat those guys. And like not to minimize the rivalry yeah, with Wisconsin Purdue. Yeah, but Purdue's not that special of a team. Like we, we've kind of, I mean, we've gone toe to toe with them even in our darker totally. years. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, like we better beat yeah. Purdue. If we don't, yeah. we'd be very I, disappointed. I mean, making a rivalry with a team takes years and years of like playing each other yeah. and Indiana football has been so irrelevant like they just beat Michigan for the first time since 87 so like I think this team needs to get relevant which they are right now mm-hmm. and stay relevant yeah. and like keep winning and we gotta know, beat these teams they, they are in the Big Ten East which is a much tougher division much tougher you have Michigan Michigan State Ohio State Penn State that alone are just Four great teams right there, mm-hmm. and then you got the crossover with Wisconsin this year. Yeah, exactly. Ridiculous. It's, it's, <laughs> they could not have made a harder schedule. But you know, they're three and zero. They're three and zero, and they got some big tests coming up. I think Michigan State's a very winnable game next week, yeah. and then they have their ultimate test with Ohio State, which is some could say the best team in the country right now. Definitely the best team in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But to answer your question, yeah, I think they could make a rivalry with Penn State. I think they could make a rivalry with Ohio State or Michigan. They just need to keep winning and yeah. staying relevant. And as the years progress, we'll see. But I want to transition for a minute. Um, so a lot of the reason we had you on today, I mean, we've been very good friends for a while, but you have a really interesting career path, which I would love for you to share. Um, right after school, you started working for the Sixers. You were part of the process. Uh, you were you got there in 2016 when they the year they drafted Ben Simmons number one, but he did not play. You saw him practice a few times. I remember you telling me about that. Then you went over to Westwood One in Chicago, and then you quit your job and traveled to Asia for was it three months? About three months. Three yeah. months. Yep. And you got back with no job. You spent a couple months looking around, and now you're at J.P. Morgan, which is much different from doing what you were doing before. But we just want to hear from you, kind of where you started, how your career path progressed, and how you got to where you are now. So yeah, no, what, totally. was, what was it like working for an NBA team like the Sixers? Well, first of all, I'll just say, I think like many people, right? I, I came out of school with this idea of what I wanted to do, but the reality is for a, a multitude of reasons, many of us come out of school and we're really just looking to get some job experience. Like mm-hmm. you have this idea of what your life is gonna be, but really until you get there, you don't actually know, hey, I, I like doing this every day, right? Like even an internship's not gonna give you that full perspective, but going to work for the Sixers was a great experience. I, I thought that it was gonna be a job I would be at for a long time, and it, it definitely, I think, was while a really fun experience, it taught me more about what I didn't wanna do than what I did wanna do. Those guys are incredibly hardworking. I spent most weeks working 70 plus hours my first year out of school mm. for that team. It is. It is an absolute grind, and I mean, it was a great experience, once again. If you can learn to sell out of school, that that was the biggest takeaway I had. It doesn't matter what you're selling. I think you get so many skills in school that, you know, whether it's learning to use Excel or whether it's financial skills, you're taking all these classes, something that very few students learn in school is how to pick up a phone, how to set a meeting, and how to actually interact with another human and not force something on them, but 
find out what they need and find a solution to that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the number one thing I took from working from them. But yeah, I mean, working for an NBA team, it, it was an awesome experience, right? You, you get to have this interaction with the players, with the staff, with these really intelligent people who are running the organization. And for being such a big organization financially, NBA teams are actually a lot smaller in terms of overhead than a company that maybe does that same amount of revenue. Yeah. So I guess what I mean by that is, you know, you go to a bank or you go to a tech firm or a consulting firm, there's going to be a lot of layers of before you get to the CEO, right? There's yeah. all these mid-level and, and minor-level managers. And I thought one of the coolest things about the Sixers and one of the things I'll always take away from me was the direct line that quite literally the CEO had with the entry-level sales associates was unbelievable. My exposure to these people who had been in the industry, who had worked in the NBA league office as a 22-year-old kid out of school built an unbelievable foundation of life lessons for me um, and really gave me some unique experience and exposure to it. But yeah, I thought it was a great experience. Uh, For me, partially also, I I knew I wanted to get a little bit closer to home from Minneapolis Mm. all my friends here in Chicago loved philadelphia great town sixers were a really fun organization of course they won nine games the year before i got there they won 30 games and it was a huge deal 27 games the year i was there and that was that was joel Embiid's first year playing but it was his third year in the league right first year playing third year in the league and i can tell you firsthand it's easy to forget as a sports fan how down people were about that team. people were calling that team the worst NBA team the year before to have ever played. I remember at graduation, a friend of mine, their dad asked me what I was doing after school. And I told him I was going to sell tickets for the 76ers and he he laughed. I mean, he he like was open and laughing, not at me, but he, he he's a salesman. He said, yeah, it's I can't think sell. of one thing I'd rather not sell than, than 76ers tickets. <laughs> and it ended up being, I mean, was really successful, was able to get promoted there after six months, did, did a really good job. Um, but knew that I wanted to go into something a little bit less transactional and that kind of led me back to Chicago and here in Westwood One and spent a couple of great years there and and my, my path's been really non-traditional. I think, you know, it's so it's so easy to look once again, you come out of school and you say, all right, I'm gonna go be a consultant, I'm gonna go work at a bank, I'm gonna go work in sales. And you see, you know, your parents, they've been doing sometimes the same job for 30, 40 years and I think it gave me a lot of respect for my dad having seen him do the same career now for 40 plus years, it is not easy to stay at the same place. For sure. Is he still at his like first job basically or? Somewhat, my dad's in in wealth management. He's been been kind of working in that business, I guess, for for, you know, that long. But I think the the biggest thing for me and a lot of my parents, you're my friend's parents that I see is, it's not an easy thing to find this, this niche where you fit in and you not only excel, but you, feel challenged and you feel excited about what you do every day. And um, I I obviously like, it would have been ideal for me, right? I think everyone would love to come out of school and find that perfect job, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't that way for me, but I think it's taught me some great lessons. I mean, all, everything I've done, non-traditional to your point, Ari, you know, moving from sports uh, directly with the team, Westwood One is selling, you know, these these rights to advertising for the NFL and NCAA and the masters Mm -hmm. worked with some incredible people there, really, truly an amazing organization. And I I would have stayed there, I liked the company, but I just knew that as much as I liked sports and to the point of I came out of school not knowing what I wanted to do, 
I really hit the realization of there is a difference between what you like to do mm -hmm. and what you maybe should be doing for work. So I guess like on that subject, I, I feel like a lot of people coming out of school look at an industry that they may have an interest in personally, but that like may not work out professionally. So I guess like, can you speak to like, were there any sort of realizations that you had working in the sports industry? Obviously you're, you're into sports. Was it the type of thing that like gave you personal fulfillment based on like the industry or was it kind of like more of a job? So I think it's a twofold answer. First is I realized pretty early with the Sixers, which kind of led me to Westwood one, eventually led me away from there was that there is a totally, there's a huge difference between that personal fulfillment of, okay, I absolutely love, you know, being involved in sports and not just watching it, talking about it, mm -hmm. playing sports, just even being around it, coaching little league to that being your nine to five or whatever, you know, your, your main source of income and job, everything you're doing revolves around it. It totally changes it because then when you have free time, you've taken this passion and some people are able to do it. For me, I looked at it and it was kind of like, okay, wow, this is, I love being around sports. I think it's awesome. And obviously there's a huge business aspect to it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I wasn't coaching. I wasn't, you know, a trainer. It's not like I was involved in sports. I was involved in the sales side of the business, mm -hmm. but it really changed the perspective for me. And I think one of the biggest things I learned at Westwood, you know, personally, and from speaking to people there was you need to be able to be happy with yourself outside of what you do for work. You need to be able to define yourself, not what you do Monday through Friday, but who you are Monday through Sunday and year long. And so I think I kind of took a deep look at myself and what I was doing and I went, okay, like if I can define myself outside of what I'm doing for work, then why don't I go do something that maybe I'm a little more interested in professionally. And mm -hmm. once again, I, I'd speak to that, that I think coming out of school, you aren't going to know what that is unless yeah. you're one of the lucky few. So I started to, in my last year at Westwood, think about, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of interested in finance and real estate. And um, while that's maybe not that passion that I had of sports or anything like that, I was really pleasantly surprised to start finding more about myself that I was actually happier doing something that sounded more boring or sounded mm -hmm. less exciting but that was what I was doing on the side and I felt that actually the biggest development was not what I was doing for work, but how I was able to define myself outside of work. And mm -hmm. I, that's a continuing a work in progress, right? Like yeah. that's not something that happens overnight. I'm still working on it. I'll be working on it for a long time. But the short answer to that question without going too in depth there is that I definitely have a lot to learn about myself and continuing to learn about what I want to do. I wouldn't, you know, I'm sure that eventually I'll change jobs again. And mm -hmm. while everyone once again wants to find that job that they do for 40 years and, and is able to really grow into it themselves, I think the most important thing is that you're working on yourself outside of work and mm -hmm. that changes how you view what you do when you go to work every day. And I remember one thing uh, you and Nyman were actually both telling me about like working for a team and what you don't always realize at the beginning is like, you know, you're on the sales aspect and as someone who myself who works in sales, like, you know, you're up early, you're hammering the phones, you're trying to close deals, you have good days, you have bad days. But when you work for a team, if you got a home game, you got to go to that home game that night and like you don't realize how much time that takes and like mm -hmm. if you've had a bad day or you're just tired like it, it could be brutal even though you're at the game and like it, it's fun it sounds like it, it'd be cool it sounds like it'd be cool but like you know you know you, you might just want to go home at the end of the day and completely it's not it's not a monday through yeah. friday job so i guess another question i have for you which got me thinking is you know so now you know 
you quit Westwood One, you traveled Asia, which we love to talk about that too. But you, know, you went to you went to J.P. Morgan's bank, and I think a lot of people have this, at least you know, coming from Indiana, you know, have this perception: oh, all like all the Kelly kids and the business school kids work in banks, and you didn't go to business school and you weren't working in finance before, and you made that transition. Mm -hmm. So, like, what what did you do to put yourself in that situation in which you were you were uh, compatible for a bank? Yeah, totally. I, I think this actually goes back to the sales job out of school, right? These are the skills that you can't really, in my opinion, yeah. learn in school. There's something mm -hmm. you have to do. And I think for me, having that sales experience was like crucial to no matter what I do in the rest of my life outside of work as well. Once again, it really made me realize that most people in the world want to help you. Mm -hmm. I think if you are proactive about yourself, most people want to help you. Now, there is a difference between going to someone who you've met once or twice and saying, hey, I'm interested in a job, can you help me? And going and reaching out and saying, hey, I really am interested in what you do. Are you willing to speak to me about it? And I think that that was one of those skills that I really picked up in Philadelphia. I honed it while I was at Westwood One watching some of these unbelievable salesmen and women go out and, and make these connections. And once again, I talked about wanting to get away from kind of that transactional business. And that was really for me what set myself apart and what I try to continue to do. I'm not the best at it. There are other people who I watch in amazement as they are able to network consistently. Mm -hmm. But networking is a 24 seven thing. And sure. COVID's actually been a huge challenge to a lot of people, but I actually have seen it as an opportunity. I think it's a perfect example and it highlights our ability in 2020 that our parents didn't have and many people even a few years older than us didn't have to hop on LinkedIn or mm -hmm. to just hop on even Twitter or Facebook and, and find these people who, you know, you type in keywords, it's like Indiana University, real estate, Chicago, and you'll get thousands of hits. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing, once again, how many of those people, if you approach in the right way, are just so open to speak to you. So yeah, I, I had the same hesitations early on is, is this something I can do? I, I wasn't a Kelly kid, you know, I have a business background, I got a minor, but part of that was just me not knowing what I wanted to do when I got to school. And I, I absolutely attribute that transition and continue to try to utilize that every day to who are you speaking to new this week? Mm -hmm. Who are you talking to? Because I think at this point, the majority of my connections on LinkedIn and people in my you know inbox for emails that I, would feel comfortable reaching out to just for, hey, I'm not looking for a job, but I did see that your company now has this opening and we've actually had a few conversations. Would you be willing to look at my resume and just tell me, do you think this might be a good fit for me? Mm -hmm. That becomes so much easier of a conversation once you've had the other conversation. So I think it's all about building that network now mm -hmm. if you know that in a year or two you might want to make a transition because you're right, if you walk into a bank and you've been working in sports for two years, I mean, it's not like it was easy for me. I got a lot of people who looked at me and went, why, why? like, I don't understand. Like it's, and even at 25, you're sitting there and going, well, I mean, I'm only 25. Like, it's not like I've been working in sports for 30 years, mm -hmm. but you know, people are gonna look at you and go, okay, well, like, do you know how to do what we're doing? Do you, like, I, I wanna take your word for it, but do you know? And, and if you have those relationships and you have someone on the inside who is really willing to say, hey, regardless of the skill set, this this person is a good culture addition to our company. I cannot say enough how much that's helped me in my career at every step of the way, and how much I would recommend to anyone out there, whether they're out of school or whether they're in their 30s and still thinking about what they wanna do, 
how important it is to network and not just up but down, right? Mm -hmm. You're not just reaching out to the CEO. You're, you're reaching out to people who are in similar positions to you who have actually made that same jump and transition and are able to speak to, hey, this is what the company is looking for in an analyst and an associate, not just what the chief financial executive is looking for. Yeah. So at my company, I think we do a good job of incorporating a lot of like entry level people into the recruiting process. So I've had a couple of years under my belt of kind of interviewing on, on like a networking basis, I guess, and, and relaying that information to higher ups who actually make that call. But to me, like, I think what stands out to about candidates is like the level of interest that they have, but also the way in which they communicate it. Because to your point, like, yeah, LinkedIn's a great asset, but it depends on how you use it. Like if you're just shooting a message to somebody after you met them on like a career fair or something, and it's like, hey, it was really great meeting you. I, I, let me know if there's anything like you want to talk to me about. It's like, that doesn't do anything. Like I get that message and I'm like, oh great, it was nice meeting you too. Like, let me know if you have any questions. You know, like it's not... Completely. It's, it's not meaningful, but then you get that person that like actually like, reaches out to you and they're like, hey, I want to set up a call and you talk to them on the phone and you understand that they're doing that with other people too. Like that to me, it like demonstrates that interest and like it shows that they're serious and they're not only trying to just like check the box and say like, hey, I, I messaged this person on LinkedIn. Like they're really trying to like get to know you as a person, understand what you're doing in the job, and then they can then hopefully take that and then uh, I guess apply it in their actual interview process. But you get that buy-in from everybody and then all of a sudden like, okay, we've had that conversation. I can go to bat for you when we're talking about candidates. Like I, I can legitimately say like, oh, I believe in this person. They seem very interested as opposed to just like, yeah, they were fine. They shook my hand firmly and looked me in the eye. Like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I think being in, this, like I, I rely on this so much for me, but being in sales and Ari can definitely attest to this is that you learn very quickly that it's one thing to have a conversation with someone and it's another to make sure that you are moving the conversation forward. Mm -hmm. So I think you hit on a good point that it goes back to what I was saying of you, you don't wanna be asking for a job. You don't wanna be asking for a raise, a job. Like You have to be looking at how are you gonna further this relationship? And mm -hmm. I know that sounds maybe two-sided of like, oh, you have this MO, but you have to be adding value, right? Mm -hmm. Everything you do, you need to find a way to add value because ultimately in our society, especially where everything's so automated and you continue to see LinkedIn where these recruiters get hit with thousands of, of invitations and messages, how are you separating yourself? So I think to your point, instead of saying, it was great to meet you, I always try to focus on kind of the who, what, why, where, when mm -hmm. of what am I specifically asking, right? So a lot of times that's, hey, it was great to meet you. Who else do you know that I could speak with? Mm -hmm. Why do you work for your company? When do you think your company will be opening new positions? And how could I get a head start on learning about them? So it's putting yourself in a position where you're actually asking for a next step. Mm -hmm. Because to your point, if you don't ask for a next step, what is my incentive on the other side to yeah. apply? I'm getting a thousand of these. Whereas it's a lot harder human nature. Like if I reach out to you, right? And you're at one of these career fairs, human nature is not for you to, to just ignore that message if, if there's a question in there. Exactly. It needs to be actionable on the side of the person receiving the message. Because otherwise it's just like a kind of a 
singular event where like you just message me and then that's where it stops like you need to have like a next step so I, I think that's a great point so I mean one thing I was always taught from my father and a lot of people know this but like it's not what you know it's who you know and you need to put yourself in positions to like get be successful you know you, the opportunity might not be there at that moment but you know LinkedIn premium is a great tool if, if for those that don't have it first month's three, then it's like 30 bucks a month after that. But it really does help open up your search and not just LinkedIn, but you know, connect, you know, ask your parents, friends of parents, but like, who do you know in this industry mm -hmm. that you could connect me to? And you don't necessarily need to be like, I need a job. Just be like, I want to hear about your experience. People love to talk about themselves and you make that connection. And then next thing you know, you know, you get hit up my mom. Uh, I really, for a while when I was looking for a new job, I, was like very interested in like the sports gaming world. It was DraftKings, and I saw a posting on LinkedIn uh, of a job that I thought would be good for me. And it was basically like being the the sales associate to like the top gamblers on the website, like the people who are betting like ten thousand dollars a day. And essentially, you're like their rep, and you like give them deals, and you hook them up, and you take them to games, all that stuff. And there was like a thousand applicants and I knew one person at LinkedIn and I reached, or I'm sorry, at DraftKings and I reached out to him because my mom introduced me and we had had a call before and he got me the interview and I ended up making it to the final round. I didn't end up getting the job, was a little disappointed. Um, I think a lot, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was in Boston, I was in Chicago and they weren't going to pay to move me there. But again... I got my foot in the door in a super competitive interview because I knew someone and I didn't ask him for a job earlier. I just was like, can you tell me a little bit about your business and like what you're doing? And then when the time came along, he pushed, they, he took my resume and moved it to the top and was like, mm -hmm. you should def definitely give this kid an interview. Yeah. yeah. It goes full circle. Yeah. Like I said, it, it doesn't matter. That's why I, I laugh. It's like, I have had this very non-traditional career path. But it, it all goes back to what I was saying of you can't define yourself by what you do. You have to be – your brand is, for me, Zach Meckler. Uh, that's my company, right? Mm -hmm. My brand is who I am. Yeah. In particular, in a time where you see so many people with side hustles or additional jobs that eventually may turn into their careers. And I, I just I, – I can't say it enough that the more time you spend now, right, you're building that base, making connections. And you have more time now because we're so as and, and And everyone else who no you're trying kids. to connecting with – is most likely home too. Like nobody has weekend plans anymore. Maybe every now and then they're doing something, but most people are home now and they have more time to connect. Well, you make a great point. I mean, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I think I found one of the biggest like bonuses to me working from home. There's always this weird thing that you can't really take networking calls when you're at work, mm -hmm. even though like- Or interviews. Or interviews, mm -hmm. but I'll use networking as an example because I actually don't even think that's a detraction to your current employer. Like I think no. that their employees like stepping out, but at least for me, like I've always found that at least like politely, like you need to like step away from your desk, like go get a coffee or, you know, do it during your lunch break or like you're asking if you could take a call at 7am, right? I think one of the biggest benefits is that I've found so much more time in the day to, it doesn't at all take away from my performance. I'm giving a hundred percent effort to my current, you know, employer and job and doing the best I can to add value to them. But if I need to take a call at one in the afternoon, it's okay to put 15 minutes on my calendar mm -hmm. and step away. And I think that to your point, you have so much time, there's no excuse. I mean, the, if you can find a way, even if that number's really low, for me, um, I try to use LinkedIn as a baseline. I'll try to do two to three new connections where I'm able to start a dialect every week. Yeah, wow. um, it's super important. And, and you know what? It sounds like a lot, and mm -hmm. I would encourage people if that sounds like a lot to start with one. Mm -hmm. 
it's so minor and the amount of them that's really like don't turn into anything. I had a call with a career coach a couple weeks ago, not really because I was that interested in his coaching, but I messaged him and I just said, I'm really interested in learning about your own business. Like how you're an entrepreneur, tell me about it. He spent 30 minutes trying to convince me to sign up for his career coaching. <laughs> I spent 30 minutes trying to get as much information, really amicable, we ended. I'm not planning on doing it, but maybe down the road I will. And mm -hmm. ultimately, this is someone who comes in contact with hundreds, if not thousands of people in different industries, mm -hmm. and he's coaching them. What a great opportunity for me to be connected to him. And down the road, yeah. maybe there's someone in his network that he's willing to introduce me to. So. That's where I think just being able to take even one or two, two to three people a week, and some weeks for me, it ends up being five or six, some weeks it's zero. Mm -hmm. it, it makes a huge, huge difference, and every job I've ever gotten has come from that. Every opportunity I've ever had has come from meeting someone through a friend, through LinkedIn, where we've had multiple conversations with no goal in mind, and down the road, they've either thought of me or I've thought of them. So yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough on that. I think those good habits yeah. are, are huge to give them to now. And, and there's one example that I like really wanna look at of like the essence of networking and where it could take you. So I went to high school with Sham Strania, as one of the top uh, NBA, like he, he breaks news. He's, he's always at the top of like trade, signing, yeah, Tim and Woj. And, he was kind of a fucking high school, I'm not gonna lie. But I didn't know he was doing this and I only heard, I, I saw him coming up on Twitter and like breaking all these news. I was like, how did he like get, how did he get here? And I'd see him at the gym sometimes and say what's up to him. But I heard his interview on part of my take and essentially what he did was he was like, I wanted, I know I wanna be an NBA reporter. I need to start networking. So he started reaching out to agents, GMs, whoever, and he he, did, he just started a dialogue with them. It wasn't even a, can you give me information? It was just like, I'm interested in learning more about like your process. And some people like, you know, talking about agents who have multiple all-stars and they're like, you know, who the fuck are you? Like, I don't know who you are, but he created this dialogue. And after thousands of emails, one day someone, t someone messaged him and said, dang to the Cavs for buying him in picks. And he was refreshing Twitter. And nobody, and, had and, no, and nobody had it so he tweeted it and he got credit for it and now he's at the top because he just was like i want to do this and i'm just going to network and form relationships and he's probably the top like one or two top nba uh reporters out there which and is, he's our age and he's our age which is crazy and he just and he just did it yeah he just went after it and I, that and i just think that's the essence of what you have to do to achieve what you're really looking for is you've got a network. You need people on your team. You can't do it alone. Yeah, yeah. no, it doesn't matter how smart you are. I, it, it's cliche, but truly it's, it's, the, it's the idea that, you know, hard work's gonna beat talent. And I think that that is never more evident than when you get out of college. We're in a society where it's, it's okay to look at it and say, quite frankly, especially depending on your upbringing, you know, if you come from money, if you come from an upper class society, Getting into college is, it feels like this big deal to you, but it's kind of a shoe in that you're gonna to go to a decent school as long as you don't fail out of your high school, as long as you take these classes. When you get out of college, it's really one of the first times, you know, for me at least, I felt, I don't know about you guys, where it's on you. Like the, the opportunity to succeed is definitely there and a lot of privilege involved in that, but how far you wanna take it, how, how invested in going to a certain place you are. And so, yeah, I think the networking and another thing I think I definitely learned that I think is evident in the Shams example is that the more you can do when you're younger that isn't about chasing the money, but that is about learning, 
will benefit you in the long run. So yeah, for sure, I think that that's huge. And that's the thing I think that gets lost in the shuffle a lot, especially when you're recruiting out of college. Like you're looking at all these starting salaries, and like at the end of the day, they're all basically the same. Like you could go into some super high paying job, but at the end of the day, it's only going to be maybe ten or twenty thousand dollars more than mm-hmm. like another job. So you shouldn't pick it based on how much money you're going to make. Most people coming out of college are probably going to make somewhere between forty and sixty. There, yeah. There's more. There's, there's a range. Like, there's a there's a range, but like first job, most of the time is like in that range. But you're also not like saddled with like kids or anything like that. Like you might have student debt that you need to pay off, which obviously is like something that you need to take into account. But you're not putting kids through school. You're not like paying off a mortgage right out of school. Like you're probably living in an apartment that costs you like eleven hundred dollars or something like that. So like we have so much time. Yeah, That's exactly. You people people lose sight of the fact that like there's. 40 years that you're going to be in your career earning a lot of money, but you're not really there for the first probably like five to 10. Well, and once again, I mean, it goes back to everything is always perspective, right? So it's amazing how when you come out of school and once again, I mean, I came out of school and worked for the Sixers in a job where it was basically 80% commission. My starting salary was, was under $20,000 base salary. And at the Sixers. At the Sixers. And, and I'm comfortable talking about that because yeah. the, the reality is, is that you know, it was eat what you kill, right? It was mm-hmm. completely about how hard you're willing to work. More importantly though, than the money, and this is going back to our, our, our conversation on, is that what I learned from that role was that if you really didn't think about it, while money is important, financial freedom is is huge. I'm, you know, a whole other topic, but I definitely am someone who is huge on, can you start creating passive income? Can you start mm-hmm. building your financial future? All great stuff. The most important thing, you know, in your 20s in particular, and even in your early 30s, is building a skill set that makes you indispensable. Mm-hmm. Can you, it's the networking, it's the skill set, and it's a culmination of that to be in a position where, once again, you create value. You need to make yourself indispensable, and that's not an overnight thing. It takes time. Um, a, a total side to that is uh, Anthony Bourdain's, like, one of my favorite just people to read about and learn about. And I, I just borrowed his book from uh, Nate and read it. And he actually talked about another chef who he kind of went into the cooking world at the same time. And the first time he went to his restaurant, when this other chef had become a professional chef, he sat down, he tried the meal and he, he couldn't believe it, how impressed he was with everything he ate, mm. how the entire experience, how he saw his kitchen, everyone was calm the whole time. And Anthony talks about how he had been a chef, a head chef for longer than this guy, an executive chef. And obviously Anthony Bourdain, everything turned out great, but he makes the comparison that he realized that that this chef had actually spent years as a sous chef or a line cook in these unbelievable kitchens, observing and learning and not taking the money. And Anthony, you know, says about himself, he's like, "I, I took the jobs that paid the most so I could go do drugs and drink and just have a good time. And he said it was great, but it ended up costing him in the long run because mm-hmm. he didn't get to observe all these other unbelievable chefs in his profession. Those were chefs. If you're in banking, if you're in you know, real estate, those are other people, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he really makes the comparison and it really hit me this week when I was finishing reading that book that in any industry you're in, you only for so long can take the less paying job that's gonna give you more exposure. Mm-hmm. You really need to make an effort to do it while you can. And once again, that's not to say that it isn't important to earn money. It's not to say it isn't important to have financial freedom. It's just to say that life is going to throw a lot at you and money, while it may seem really important now, 
is really just an opportunity for you to live differently than you currently do and to build the skill sets that are going to be able to earn you more in the long run. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to do that now. So, I mean, it's, it's a big conversation, but the networking is a huge part of it. And, and I just think that the more you can learn now, whether that's taking online classes on the side while you're still working, whether that's having a side hustle, you know, some people are getting into real estate, whatever it is. I cannot speak highly enough to, to those people. My cap is off to them. I try to do as much as I can. It will pay off in the long run. For sure. And um, I was just listening to a Joe Rogan with Evan Hafner who started Black Rifle Coffee. It's great coffee. Um, well, Shout we, out Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah, Black Rifle Coffee. <laughs> yeah, we were sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee. But one of the things he was saying was when he, he got out of the military, he always had an interest in coffee. He's like, I'm going to start a coffee company because that's what I really, really want to do. And I want to travel and learn more about coffee. Like when you, you know, to, to your point, like when you take a lesser paying job or you, you really go after what it is that you want or, you, you know, you're taking a lesser payer job to learn, it's going to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which, is, which is another thing. And, and you're going to either be making less money or you're really going to have to step out of your comfort zone. But that's a part of it. And I feel like that's when you learn the most. Yeah. You got to bet on yourself sometimes. You have to bet on yourself. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and once again, it's always easy to, to see what you have right now and think, wow, like I wish... You know, I was doing this, but something my dad always taught me is the next person's always going to have more. So Mm -hmm. I think that that goes back to the idea that I'm not sitting here saying don't live a comfortable lifestyle. I'm not saying, you know, it's not great to earn more money. All of that is great. You just have to be willing and able to put it aside and focus on yourself. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, that's going to create the best positive results for you. Absolutely. All right. And uh, I also know that you just you just bought a house which uh, is, is great, especially during a time right now where the interest rates are so low. To anyone listening out there that's interested in buying a property, like what are a couple things that you would think um, are, are good pieces of advice? Yeah, and what, ma- what made you decide to buy a house also? Yeah, yeah so um, always been interested in real estate. It's definitely something that you know I've, I've had an interest in. I think something long-term is that I wanna be able to have kind of my own asset classes that I can control and gain that passive income as I go. And, Mm -hmm. um, I I love the idea of real estate. I think, you know, you look at most wealthy investors across the world, real estate's a huge part of their portfolio. And I thought that this would just be a great way to really experience it. It's it's so funny because you think about when you grow up, um, most people's parents teach them about the idea of saving more than they're spending. They teach them that credit cards aren't to be used to, you know, spend too much. You have to be able to, so we get these basic financial principles. And I kind of laugh when I think that sometimes parents, like they don't want to talk to their kids about like mortgages or debt. It's taboo. In my opinion, that was my experience. Maybe other people are different, but you know, my parents never said, Oh, this is the mortgage we have. This is how principal Mm -hmm. and interest work. This Mm -hmm. is what interest rates look like. I had very limited exposure to that asset class. And so I started doing a lot of reading and um, just, being able to realize that it's actually a lot more achievable, I think, than, than people realize. So I thought that was the biggest step of faith was going, okay, you know what? I can I can afford this not because of what you make or because of what you save, but because the way that our country is set up, and I think this is important for people to understand, is that the government is trying to stimulate the economy in many different ways. And you look at right now the interest rate environment we're in, yeah. that's a clear sign that the government is trying to stimulate the usage of debt Mm -hmm. in order to make purchases such as homes. So, you know, the national average on interest rates right now fell below 3%. And just as a comparison, I know this is a while ago, but 
my dad and I had a great conversation when we first closed in our place and he kind of laughed. He, he's like, you know, I still remember my first mortgage. My interest rate was over 14%. Oh my God. And different time in this country. That's obviously, crazy. We haven't been there in a long time, but yeah. you know, even a couple of years ago, like 2016 was the last time we got to this really low point. Interest rates were low and they were in the high three percentage points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it was a great learning experience. I think that what I would tell people who are listening or interested is two things, maybe three. It'll start with one. Uh, real estate's all about how you buy it. So you make all your money on how you buy it. I've been told that by every single person I've ever talked to and networked with in real estate is that it does not matter. You know, the interest rates are great. Location, all that's great. If you overpay for a place, it will be very, very hard to to make that up in the long run. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time looking at what are the comps in the neighborhood? What are the recent sales comps? What What is, you know, the trending in the neighborhoods look like? We're mm-hmm. in Lakeview. We kind of looked at, okay, where do we want to be? You have to factor in what are the taxes look like? What does the HOA look like? What are all of the property management fees going to look like? So we spent a lot of time in, and I really think that can pay off. And for us, we found a place that we absolutely love, really happy with it. And it's going through the experience for me was huge because eventually what I want to do personally is start to own and rent out um, multi-unit housing. And mm-hmm. I think that until you go through it the first time, it seems so daunting. And now this idea to me is just so much less scary because you realize if you are a financially responsible person, while it may be intimidating to take on debt of two, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars if you have the cash flow mm-hmm. to be able to support that, which once again, it's something you can look up online to understand, you know, what the debt to income ratios and the it's leverage really ratios are. Bad. They're very, very simple to learn. They're very easy and I we won't go into it, but it's something that, you know, if you can learn once again, debt to income, leverage, understand those two and really look at that, you actually might realize that you or you and a friend or two are actually much more capable of buying a place and potentially renting it or buying your own place. Mm-hmm. And and I think for me, it, it really kicked in. I was walking around kind of Chicago, just looking at places and I really realized, wow, you know, rent is, you're literally just paying someone else to live there and you leave and you built no equity. You, yeah. you put nothing into your own pocket. And so that was the final kick in the butt of, okay, I'm ready to do this. I'm 25. If this fails, we've talked about how young you are in your career. You can afford a financial setback at 25. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want that. You hope to not yeah, have that. It'd be shitty, but you but can dig your way back out. This is the time to take chances. This is absolutely at our age, the time to take chances because to Ari's point earlier, you don't have kids. You don't have, you know, some people may have college debt, but that's kind of the extent. Fortunately for most of us, we're not in a position where we're buried in debt. Mm-hmm. So actually taking on debt can actually be a really good thing and it, it helps to build your credit. It helps to build your knowledge of the actual situation. And once again, going through it, you really find it. It's, it's, it's a lot less intimidating than it is. Um, I just can't recommend it highly enough. I think that for young individuals who have the means and the ability, I would, I would highly recommend at least going through the process of starting to look at places and something that I think a lot of people also don't realize, and it's different in every city is that, using an agent like a realtor, which we, we were able to use someone who's related and we really trusted them. It actually, there's no cost to it to the buyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all comes out of the seller's side. So pretty much everything is set up to help you be the buyer in the mm-hmm. system in America where you're not gonna pay anything to the realtor. Most title fees are, are pretty minor. Chicago, certain states have a higher tax rate, obviously. 
but yeah, I just think going through the process, couldn't recommend it highly enough. I think you hear a lot about from our parents' generation that debt is a lot more frowned upon. I don't know about you guys, but I know that the idea of like some, my parents and their friends still pay for meals with cash and right, it's all this <laughs> stuff. Our generation is just a lot better, I think, about using debt. Sometimes it goes overboard with credit cards. Sure. But if you understand how to manage it, debt is an incredible tool to be able to unlock a lot of financial freedom that you might not have. So yeah. that'd be my biggest take on it. Yeah, my, my parents, they, they, they will pay in cash and they'll use their debit card. <laughs> and I was like, why don't you just use the credit it's amazing, card for right? points? And they're You're like, giving they're like, well, so they're like, you know, we just, we don't do that. We just like, you know, we don't want to put everything on the credit card. I mean, that habit, I would go, just keep track of what you're spending and pay it back. Yeah, it's like, not that it's a huge difference in the gap between our parents' age yeah. and ours, for sure. But like I said, if you're gonna put something on the credit card, you're putting it on because you know you could pay it back. You just don't put things on. Right, we're not tonight. sitting here advocating, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. spend whatever yeah. you can on debt. But, but I definitely think don't spend you, money you don't have. Right, right. You look at your your monthly budget, and and you know, I I try to do a really good job of looking at okay, like what are subscriptions that I don't need? Mm -hmm. What are mm -hmm. monthly costs here that we don't need? And if you really just look at the amount of money you're maybe able to unlock, it's fifty to hundred dollars a month that you take off. And you look at, once again, you're paying rent of, you know, the average rent in Chicago for someone, once again, we're not gonna include the majority of our friend group tend to live, Lincoln Park, River North, so those are a little bit more expensive rents, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. you're probably looking at people paying anywhere from 900 to $1,800 a month. It's a yeah. broad range, but let's call it $1,400 a month, that average. I don't think many people realize that for not that much more, you could go buy no. your own place a month. Yeah, if you look at what you would have to pay on a monthly basis for like a $400,000 home, which like there are a lot of in Chicago and they're not bad places, you would be paying about 1,400 or so of an interest if you're on a 30 year fixed. And like if you're buying in a place with low homeowner fees, then like you're not paying more than like 1,700 maybe and, say. And that's basically what you would be paying for rent and you're building up your own assets. Sure. And, yeah. and like, like we said, you're basically paying that money to yourself. Exactly. And rather than when you're renting, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of throwing it out. You're um, letting it on fire. Speaking and of saving money, um, recently I've kind of done like an overhaul of like my expenses and I've, I've tried to be more frugal because I was like, especially once COVID hit and I was like, all right, like, like now that I'm not going out, like where am I spending money? Um, there's an app I have, it's called Mint for mm -hmm. those that don't have it. And it's, it's a really good app that basically you could hook your credit cards and your bank up to it and it shows you where you're spending money. It sets budgets for you. It like makes a pie chart of like what you're spending and you kind of look at it and you're like, what am I like? What am I doing here? Like, well, why am I spending two hundred fifty bucks a month on something that I don't need? And and for those that don't have it, I, I recommend taking a look at it. It's helped me a lot. Yeah, yeah and I think it also shows your cash flow too, how much you're making, how much you're spending. So. You can export your bank statements too, which is an interesting yeah. exercise. And like a lot, I mean, I know Chase. They categorize everything too, so you can look at your credit card bill and probably your point. Like, you can see what subscriptions you're using that aren't worth it or like i don't know for me my biggest issue when like we were going out was like oh i would just buy drinks for people and then like if, some, if someone's not buying you a drink then you're just throwing that money away so then you kind of look at it it's like oh i spent a hundred bucks at the bar last night like, i didn't need to do that like i could have just like bought my own drink. It, it's easy it's easy not to spend money going out right now yeah. especially but i also think someone once told me it's important you need to have like a fuck all account like you just you still like it's important to human nature to have like a little money left where you're just like all right like i could yeah do something crazy today with this. I could go out, I could buy drinks, whatever, but it, it is important to keep track of your finances because over time, it, it's all compounding, it all adds up. And you might be thinking, I'm spending $15 a month on something. 
that I don't need and you go, oh, it's only $15, but as time up. goes up, it, it adds up. Well, and it goes back to the original question of talking about buying a place. I yeah. think that, you know, once again, you're in your 20s. This is, this is not a question of you can't have fun, you can't do anything. I'm just, I, it amazed me, like, it really isn't a change of lifestyle to have bought a place. It, it has not changed my lifestyle. I'm maybe a little more conscious about a few things, mm-hmm. but more than anything, it's a learning experience. and. To your point, maybe that is what forces you to really look at your finances and go, okay, well, how can I do this? Why does it make sense for me to do this? And what do I need to do to continue to make this feasible? And I I can't recommend it enough. I think even if you don't end up going through with it at 25, 26, 27, in your mid-20s, it it will teach you a lot about not only buying it, but then learning to manage it. I mean, I laugh like, you know, you take these things for granted when you rent, but what happens when your refrigerator goes out or you know your oh, water yeah. heater springs a leak and these are things that you got to have a little fun set aside for when your house gets in trouble and you got to sure. learn how to fix it yourself i mean our yeah. generation's so big I did you do home. your bathroom or you put tiles down you said you did something. so we, we had someone come in and do oh. some of the grout work but there's a lot of things that i maybe you know we thought we we painted some of the walls our own i actually went through and um never done this but you know caulked all of our uh, our windowsills because we, mm. we learned when it started getting colder we were like some yeah, so those are the things drafts. that that's a three four hundred dollar job and you go to home depot and you get a tube of caulk and it's four dollars and and you realize wow this you know we live in a generation of task rabbit makes it so easy to just click all right, task rabbit is great great yeah, great it's app it's, oh, good, it's, good value. Yeah. it's a great great app i just it's, it's a great example of you know i think there's a lot of things you talk about financial freedom that you know, maybe you laugh at your dad when you were a kid doing it and going, why doesn't he just pay someone to do it? But you yeah. look around and you go, well, it's also kind of cool to be able to develop these skills to, to be able to do it yourself. Yeah. So. And it's a hundred dollars that you're saving like a couple times a year. And that also adds up. Yeah. Plus you build up that skill set and you can just continue to kind of do maintenance on your own. Yeah. And once again, I think if you know, if anyone is interested in this goes back to me eventually wanting to be able to manage and rent out properties on my own, you think about where you're, you know, where you're making money and then how much gets eaten into it if you hire a property management company mm-hmm. versus if you're willing to go roll up your sleeves and do a couple things yourself, there's no better way than to practice on your own place, right? So exactly. you punch a few holes in the wall <laughs> that you, you maybe wouldn't have wanted to do on someone else. If you're able to say later in life, I made those mistakes with my own money and with my own place, I'm less likely to make them with your money to your investors. I think that's a much more compelling story as well. All right, well, we got the NFL games coming up in 15 minutes. I got the Bears on at noon. Just wanted to close out with a little bit about Minnesota sports. I know you're a big Minnesota sports fan. Um, they got the Lions today, the Vikings do, and I know that the um, the Wolves have the number one pick in the upcoming draft, November 18th. Um, who, who do you like at number one for the Wolves? Is there an answer I can just trade the pick? I mean... You don't want anyone? I, I, you know... I, it's tough and I well, what I, would you trade the pick for yeah who are you gonna get like I don't I like I know you guys all even a second like Devin Booker like him Towns and, and D'Lo together would be great that's the pipe dream right yeah that's but I don't I don't see that after what the Suns just did in the bubble I don't really see them trading that's Booker the unless, unless, he, crazy unless he asks them. for out so that's the pipe and he's dream. also under contract and I could yeah. I could sit here and rattle off conspiracy theories of how I could get there but we'll we'll save save everyone that I think that the player I probably would trade it for that I've seen is Drew Holland on the market I think the Timberwolves have quite literally been the longest franchise like I, I don't know the last veteran leader they had you could say Jimmy Butler we won't go how that worked out know. but to get a guy in there with with young players and I he's just, still good 
Yeah, oh, I mean, what, maybe the best defensive point yeah, guard in the league, too. Fantastic to put him next to, you know, Devin Booker, or excuse me, to put him next to D'Lo, who can score and, you know, is, is going to be moving up and down the floor. If we take someone with the pick, personally, I would really like to see, especially because of their history of botching first picks, uh, not first overall, but first yeah. round picks, Johnny I'd really Floyd. like to see them go with maybe the safest player on the board. So, who would you say that is? For me, that's not going to be Lonzo Ball. I, I, or Lamella <laughs> Ball. I think you know he has an incredible potential mm-hmm. that I just don't know a team like the Timberwolves is a good. I mean, you can't put that. him and D'Angelo together because both those guys don't play defense. No, and and it's just like once again, Minnesota's got a young coach. I shout out Ryan Saunders. I think he's a great guy. I don't know how long he lasts there, but I don't know if he's the guy to be that type of coach. So I kind of feel like he's like a Brett Brown right now. We're like the, you know, yeah, he's, he's the players develop. love it, yeah. but it's, it, it's, there might be a change on the horizon. Gerson Rosas, who they hired away from the Rockets is incredibly intelligent. This guy mm-hmm. is, is he the VPU? Basketball so he, yeah, he, just, he runs everything. I mean, he's, he's a G like he does everything okay. at this point. And he, he is seriously incredible. They, sh- if you have not read about him, go read about him. Uh, they also, so their VP of basketball ops who came in is actually a guy who, worked for the Pistons before who created the NBA ESPN trade uh, machine. Oh, machine. Yeah, the analyzer. Yeah, the analyzer. So they, they've got some huh. really intelligent guys working in the front office, which is literally a first for them. They've never had basketball guys. They've always hired Minnesota guys who they felt would be good for the city. They've never had basketball guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thrilled about it. I think that Gerson Rosas, regardless of what they do with the pick, I, if I was going to pick one person personally – I think I would go with Anthony Edwards. I think that he makes the most sense for the mm-hmm. Timberwolves. I'm not sure that he's – I've heard the Wiggins comps. I get it. I understand he might not ever be a great NBA offensive pure player, but I think he's a freak athlete. I think he can run the floor. Athletes can play defense, right? So mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, he didn't play defense. He can figure it out. 18-year-olds in the SEC don't really need to play defense because he was the best player in the I team. I mean, look at Ben Simmons. But ben de- Simmons was terrible in the SEC but defense, more than anything, at least what I learned playing basketball growing up, it's so much it's just effort. It's effort. It's, yeah. it's re- it really well, is effort. And when you're that athletically skilled and like you're I think he, what is he like six five with a yeah. big wingspan? Like, yeah. like the guy could learn to play defense at the NBA level. He just gotta be willing to do so. Yeah. Well, and another huge thing on any NBA team, right? I mean, yeah, I think the Bulls see this now, right? It's when you have to draft a guy who has to come in and make a contribution, it actually just makes it so much harder on them. Mm-hmm. So what I like about the idea of an Anthony Edwards is that I think he's like the seventh, eighth man on the Wolves, even as the first overall pick coming in. Malik Beasley's probably going to start that two spot if they yeah. sign one. He's good. He's great. Yeah. They, they've got. If he doesn't him. go to prison. Yeah, well, so we're going to go there. I think he'll be okay. <laughs> we'll see. He kind of fucked up. But yeah, I mean, it, it makes a huge difference, yeah. right? When you have to come in and be playing 30 minutes a game versus when you have to earn those minutes. Yeah. And it, it can really challenge yeah. a player. I mean, Jimmy Butler came in to the Bulls organization. He had to earn his rotation. You look at Jalen Brown too like he got drafted to a good team yeah. at the Celtics but it took him a couple years yeah. and now he's like their second best and, player and Jimmy Butler did not really play a lot his first year I actually happened to be at the game which he scored his first NBA bucket it was right after the the lockout it was January 1 it was the Bulls home opener versus the Memphis Grizzlies they put Jimmy but they were up by 25 30 they put him in at the end of the game offensive rebound put back first bucket ever and it's just like crazy to see like where his career went. And I mean, that's just like a great thing about sports is you could always find these guys later who just like have untapped talent. And if you just have the right coaching and system, you can make them better. Um, but I was just thinking about it since all of our teams are in the top four and you went with Edwards. 
Edwards is off the board. Manny, your beloved Golden State Warriors got had a fall from grace from going up, you know, four or five, four straight titles. Or There's five. a team who's going to yeah. trade the pick. I mean, yeah. yeah do, would you, so you would you would want to trade the pick? I would want to trade the pick. Realistically, though, I think because of this year's draft, that two pick isn't anywhere close to as valuable as it would have been, say, Especially last year. Especially if the Wolves trade the pick, right? That kind of changes it. Like I feel if like the Wolves, yeah, because like, then you lose ball another feels market. Like the, the prospect who there might be a team that's willing to jump up. Correct? I don't wrong. think so. I don't think I, so. All right. So I like as a Bulls fan, I would like to see LaMelo ball because he's a playmaker and the Bulls don't have that. Some people like to say Zach Levine is, but I see you Zach Levine more of just like Kobe. 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 Yeah. Yeah. But Kobe's more of like, he, he's more of a scorer than a playmaker, in my opinion. I think Lamelo Ball yeah, a little smaller too. Yeah, he's got and the hair though. He's, <laughs> yeah, no. But uh, seeing Kobe White play enough times, he just puts his head down and he just like charges towards the basket, or he pulls up from three. He's not really looking to pass that often. I think Lamelo Ball would be good for the playmaking aspect, but Denny Avita. All these scouts are saying that, that he's amazing. It'd be really cool to see an Israeli guy on the Bulls. I, I think it'd be great. Um, the talent coming over from you know that part of the world has been much better than it is before. I think there was always that fear amongst scouts. That, you don't want another that, Darko. Yeah, you don't want another Darko. But I feel like the game has evolved and and just that like you know something that David Stern really did is he wanted to push the game global. And you have these athletes, whether it's from you know Africa, Europe, or Asia. Now that the game's available to him, rather mm-hmm. than playing soccer, which is like what a lot of those guys do. You know, you got a guy like Luka Doncic in the gym, and next thing you know, like he he might win MVP next year. Like, like oh, yeah. he, he could, he's like really he's like really up in that. In yeah. that, uh, I think I, I actually think Golden State should take Danny. I I, yeah. I think he fits. Well, a lot, I think a lot of guys like him. It feels well. like the best place for him. And you look at Luca and Dallas, and I think this will be a trend moving forward yeah. too. Mm-hmm. I think his agent was so smart to say, "I'm not going to Sacramento." He said he told the Kings don't mm-hmm. draft. Well, did did he say that? He his agent came out and made comments, and it wasn't an Eli Manning situation fully, but he basically said, "Don't draft me. I don't want to play there." And I really, truly think, I mean, you look at, that's why people are like, why would the Kings take, you know, they didn't, I'm trying to remember who they drafted. Bagley. Bagley, Bagley, who's a great player. Yeah. I really think that that was Luka Doncic saying foreign players sometimes come over here and that they're in the wrong situation. They flame out quicker yeah. because of perception, really. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that that you have like Bargnani and like yeah, kind of those there's, kind of situations. There's guys yeah. who are good but, players who don't have that. I think if there's a program for a guy like Denny, you gotta think Steve Kerr an offensive. Yeah, match. and apparently he, he, never had, a, he had a he had a great workout. I think someone's gonna take him just because of the prospect of being like take him before the Bulls pick because he's six nine and he shoots threes. Um, and just being in that system with with Steph, Clay, and Draymond, like if he ends up being good, like that's their guy. I know he's like. Like like similar body to Durant. I know he's not as tall, no, but like not uh, yeah, you can't you can't compare it. But it's like it's that forward that you're gonna fill in there that could shoot threes if they didn't. That they yeah. lost he's the athletic won. wing. I'll shoot threes. He'll um, score. But, but yeah, going off what you're saying though, um, I totally agree. And you see it a lot in the NFL guys going to the wrong team and just like their career just like fanning out. But given what we've seen from Luka Doncic, I don't think it would have mattered where he got drafted. I think I, don't he, think I think so he would have been. I think he would have been stunned. But 
Dallas is definitely a one of the better franchises to get drafted from. Great owner, great coach. He had Dirk there his first year. That's they a have a really ride. good team. Yeah. Um, Sacramento's just made a series of bad picks, bad trades, bad moves. They're just such Not, a weird team. They should be good. Team. You got yeah. Rick Carlisle in Dallas, who yeah. is Jam underrated every year. He's, I mean, that guy is unheralded for what he has done there. He, yeah. is, he is unbelievable. And you arguably the best owner. Yeah, so you compare all that, mm-hmm. and I, I, once again, I mean, we won't, you know, we'll, we'll get we'll get going here with the NFL slate, but I yeah. think I'd leave you on for for the Wolves this year. We'll see. I I really hope they make the right pick, but I kind of live my Minnesota fandom on uh, the idea that I never get my hopes up. So, yeah, I, and, and, you know, <laughs> I was talking to your brother and and Joe, and, and and they didn't like this, but I said, listen, I was like, you know, whoever you guys take, the next guy might might or probably will end up being better. It, just given the, given, the, given the history of their draft. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> given the history of the Wolves picks, which we don't have to go through, yeah. that's there, typically <laughs> what, what has happened. There's a little bit of a historical precedent with the Warriors picking directly after the, the Timberwolves. So we'll see what happens this time around. Yeah. Well, once again, thanks for having me on, guys. Of course. Thanks for coming out. We had a great yeah. conversation. First guest, Zach Meckler, legend of a Thank you very much. Thanks Thanks for joining us.